Ephesians chapter 2. Care to turn there? In the. Perhaps I should preface this by just saying the. This morning the message perhaps could be titled Evidences in Scripture of Confirming or Affirming the Old Testament Canon. Evidences in Scripture affirming the Old Testament canon. It's been some time ago we looked at a couple different messages on the role of the apostles and some of the New Testament information regarding the, the Word of God. And um, I continue to be impressed with the importance of that understanding because of, especially as you look at the uh, different aspects of how the Word of God is, is accepted, received, embraced, and the impact it has on the life of the church or the life of the, the lack of life in the church and the world around us. Um, if you look at the elements of, uh, many elements of the new and old dispensation, the, the uh, teachings in the epistles, Paul's teachings regarding the headship veiling, the headship order of headship, different things. Uh, a lot of them can be, are being uh, negated or deline delineated from as subject to that time. And yet, if you look carefully at the scriptures, we see that that is not the case. And so this morning, I want to Again, increase our faith by God's grace as we look at scriptures together to remind us and teach us of how it's put together and, and how God continues to work his work through his word that he has given to us. Here in Ephesians 2, uh, I wanted to look at verse 20, but in the previous verses there, we have a passage talking about the unity of all believers and then coming up toward verse 20, uh, beginning in verse 18, we read these words. Paul writes, For through him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore ye are no, no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself, the chief cornerstone. You know, we talked quite a bit about the formation of the New Testament and how it was directed and so forth. But today we'll be focusing more perhaps on the work of the prophets, but also how that the apostles and our Lord in particular referenced those works, those actions in, in very important ways to uh, give a framework and give parameters to, to what the Old Testament consists of, how it's made up of, of that aspect. <clears throat> um, so there, there are many things we want to, to consider in that regard this morning. You know, in the world we live in, there are a lot of things you can read about who designates what to be, to take what role in in the writings of the scriptures, but we want to focus primarily this morning on the scripture itself. In Romans chapter 2, 
pardon me, chapter 3, verse 2, Paul considers a question there. He had just finished pointing out some of the struggles, I believe, of the Jews and, and dealing with the law, working with the law. Um, <clears throat> the latter part of chapter 2, we have that group of verses. And uh, he pointed out, you know, some of the things they had information in, but did they live up to what was required? Did they, did, how did they pass the test, if you will? And then in verse 29, the last verse, he says, But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and the circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the, matter, not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. Then I want to look at the first two verses of chapter 3 in particular. He says, What advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? He had just talked about some of their struggles, some of their problems, some of their failures. And then he says, Much every way, chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. And that, that is an interesting thing that Paul writes about here. And it's borne out time and time again as far as the, the, the Jews being given the responsibility to, uh, to bring forth, to protect the word of God given unto them, the Old Testament um, scriptures. <clears throat> the oracles of God, you know, and that has a lot to do with, as we'll see this morning um, and some of the other references as to how the scriptures reflect on what that consisted of. And we think of the Old Testament scriptures being written in the Hebrew, and that's true. And yet in the preceding years coming, uh, what was it, around general terms, I'm going to say the 300 B.C., was it when the... Um, the Greek Septuagint was written, um, and in that time frame, it was beginning to meet a need of, of bringing the Old Testament scriptures into the common language of that day. So, uh, actually, we also will notice if you look that that the majority, maybe I think upward of ninety percent of the New Testament quotations of the Old Testament are, if you look at them closely, a lot of them don't quite match word for word, but it's because they were quoted from the Greek translation of the Septuagint, which was used quite a lot in that time. So those perhaps are a little, a few details that may not mean a lot to you this morning, but keep in mind as you read the scriptures and, and ponder those things that it can help us to understand that perhaps in a fuller way. <clears throat> Um, and so there are some variations. Um, one that I, I heard brought out on one occasion regarding the prophecy of a virgin bearing a child in the, <clears throat> the Hebrew version of the scriptures, which I'll, I'll be using the word Tanakh, which is actually a Hebrew acronym that denotes the three basic groups of uh, that make up the Old Testament scriptures. 
um, the law, the, the prophets, and the writings. But the Tanakh uh, was one that that uh, when when God saw fit that the Septuagint was translated, it, it gave some clarity to to the passage in Isaiah seven fourteen regarding the virgin bearing uh, our uh, the Messiah. But the other thing, one of the other things that it did, as I referred to earlier, that time frame was a time when in um, the New Testament time where the apostles were were familiar with the Septuagint writings, the translation, and, and <clears throat> so they used that primarily in their interaction. They were able to go into the synagogues and, and interact uh, based on their knowledge of the scriptures. Um, of the Greek Old Testament scriptures. And as I've heard said, and as I understand, the another thing we can notice that in Jesus, his affirmation of, of delineating the scriptures and the importance of the scriptures, he does not single out any specific translation uh, as such. In other words, in uh, I think we will find that that he typically basically says it is written uh, when he refers to a scripture uh, or the scripture says uh, he does not. So as we understand, you know, this morning, we don't have the Hebrew or the Greek as such here this morning, do we? Very, you know, most all of us are very limited in our ability to, to, um, to understand it in, in its fullness, those earlier languages. And yet Christ, when he quoted those scriptures, regardless of the translation he quoted from, he quoted them as the word of God, as a viable record of the word of God. Um, it was a faithful translation. Uh, equals the word of God. Even in Christ's time, I guess there was very likely, you know, to what extent they had then, I don't know, but we have no original copies. And, um, you know, sometimes for us that have grown up here in this later developing land and uh, have a limited perspective on history, it's it's eye-opening to realize the, the breadth of time that has spanned in in the uh, in the years and history of the word of God, development of cultures, changing of languages, and so forth, and it was through that that while we have no original copies, God's word was preserved, um, and it was some have said, well, you know, maybe it would be preserved better by having one particular copy, but rather it seems to have preserved it, been preserved by it being spread and dispersed so that others couldn't just take that copy and make a change or forge it. Um, and we'll talk about certain aspects of other parts of what some consider Scripture to be this morning a little bit too as we go forward here this morning. Jesus made a number of references to the Hebrew writings. Uh, 
and we'll look at a couple of those things that give us clues of that. Um, but the Old Testament prophets were in focus of, of the scriptures were given as to having brought forth the, the word of the Old Testament, the, the scripture, the law, the prophets, the writings. And um, some of you may recall one of the familiar verses that Jesus quotes. He quotes those three in order. And um, we, in our Bibles, we have it placed differently. We have the prophets last. We have the writings in the, in the middle. And, um, and yet in the Tanakh, the Hebrew writings, that was the order that they had, that they were given. <clears throat> Thinking of the scripture's reference to the Old Testament writers and the, the fact that the prophets played that key role. What was involved in them being the prophets? Now we know in, in specific we think of, of different prophets, but I would like to <clears throat> think with you a little bit further. Second Samuel, there's an example here that helps us understand that in the Old Testament writings, those that weren't necessarily noted as prophets um, but where the, the spirit of prophecy was upon them, it was considered a prophetic writing. Now in 2 Samuel 23, um, it's noted here as the last words of, of um, David. <clears throat> but notice what he says here in these first couple of verses. 2 Samuel 23, verse 1 and 2. Now these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, said... And the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel said, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. Notice that David acknowledged that it was God speaking through him. David expressed that in his understanding. Um, <clears throat> the spirit of prophecy was upon them. That concept is borne out as well in the New Testament. If you care to turn to Second Peter, um, uh, I won't take the time to turn there, but if you care to look at that, chapter 1, verse 21. Um, yes, I will, because I want to read more than verse 21. Second Peter 1. Let me begin in verse 19. Peter says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, unto the day dawn, the day star and the day star arise in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Peter had an understanding that of that spirit of prophecy that, that um, worked in men's lives. Holy men of God spake as they were moved. And it was um, <clears throat> taken into account. It was given... Um, What's the word I want to use? It was um, it was noted as the word of God. Later, we'll 
talk a, bit, a little bit later about some of the prophets when they made a statement um, and they wanted to make sure it stood as a prophetic statement, they would call and have sure witnesses note it, record it, that it was not just their word, but it was recorded by sure witnesses. Uh, could we say notarized or <laughs> whatever the process would be, um, that later it would stand the test of scrutiny and bear the, the strength and the power of, of um, a word truly spoken, a prophetic word. The Gospel of Luke chapter 1 makes a reference to the work of the prophets in the Old Testament. I think it's helpful to be reminded of Luke chapter 1, last part of the chapter, verse 70. Here's some verses speaking of Zechariah's prophecy. But in verse 70 it says, As he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets, which have been since the world began. Since the recording of, of God's time there, he had those prophets, the holy prophets, um, taking their part in, in uh, speaking to the people from the mouth of God, revealing the work of God to them. Um, now let's, we're in Luke, let's go over to chapter 24. Verse 27. <clears throat> We may, we'll come back to this as well. But notice here, on the road to Emmaus, Jesus said these words. Well, he, he spoke to them, but then it records what he talked about. And it says here in verse 27, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus, here's one place where Jesus is revealing what constitutes the Old Testament, the, the Tanakh. And it says he began at Moses, that's the, the five books of the law, and all the prophets he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So the law, the prophets, the writings, um, we'll see that in another location, but take note here that that's that is an important designation that he refers to as to the Jews uh, having an advantage and chiefly in every way that they were committed to them, the oracles of God. In Romans chapter 16, verse 26, Paul writes, but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. And then many of you, I'm sure, uh, we could um, Think on the thoughts that are expressed there in Hebrews 1, but let me just read that to you. God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. The prophets. 
and now he's introducing hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. So it's um, it's encouraging to understand how it's all tied together and and um, that that is interwoven and, and strengthened and and we can see that. There's some other aspects I want to go into yet here as well, but I won't add further comment on that. I referred to the Tanakh, the Hebrew writings, as the law, the prophets, and the writings. Um, there can be a lot of details focused on. You know, if you look up, you can find uh, times in which they considered a different number of books, 22, 24. A lot of that had to do with how they counted or grouped them. Um, I think today they consider it 24, but back at, at one point they, they had like Ruth and Judges were considered together and Lamentations and Jeremiah were grouped together, so that, that would have given them a group of 22. Um, and that, um, I am not f real familiar with it, but I will reference a reference given uh, in Josephus. He's a Jew that wrote a lot of history, and he makes references to the the Jewish scriptures um, and he stated this, we have but 22 books containing the history of all times. And again, that reflects on the grouping as I talked about the variation of the grouping. Also, another thing that, that uh, the Jewish history books, uh, Josephus records is the fact that the Jews were given the oracles of God and they they did a lot to protect them. There were those that died protecting copies of the scripture. They they uh, held tenaciously to, to that privilege to have them and, um, and there was references made as well as to during all that time they were protected, they were not added to, they were not taken away from and and we can we can sort of see that sentiment echoed in John's writing in, Le in Revelation as well um, from the Jewish perspective. We already talked a fair amount about the scriptures being defined, the Old Testament scriptures uh, defining or demonstrating. The, the writings as given by the prophets. But one of the things that I think I maybe alluded to, but the Old Testament points forward. One of the things that distinguish between it and some of the other writings, the Apocrypha and, and things that are called into question, is that it points forward to Christ. And it, in that sense, is prophetic. It, it is a predictor. It is a foreteller. It is a... Um, looking toward Christ. And then the New Testament, there's an, a sense in which the New Testament writers and Jesus, they look back. They look back at the Old Testament um, and refer to that prophetic uh, role that was there. Now, we were in uh, Luke 24 a while ago. Let's go back to Luke 24 and verse 44. And here is a um, 
a passage that reminds us of Christ uh, differentiating does um, the division differentiating the division of the Old Testament scriptures Luke 24. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which was written, which were written in the law of Moses, and in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me. Now here the uh, the King James uses the word Psalms. Um, I didn't look that up. I think sometimes that would be have been considered writings, but. That, uh, and you notice here again that order is different than what we have it in our scriptures. But he's referring again to, to the um, Old Testament designation there. And he affirms that definition clearly for us. Um, Okay, yeah, that's, that's the same. Um, but in, if you read about the Old Testament writings, there are some references that don't use the word psalm because the writings include more than just the psalms themselves. So um, um, be that as it may. <clears throat> so, and one of the things here that we begin to see in Jesus' references, different scriptures... He points out the beginning and the end of what is a part of the Old Testament canon. In other words, um, many times we're content with our scriptures and yet once in a while someone begins to sort and sift and study and you begin to say, well, some would say this should be included, some would say this should be or should not be. And, and yet Jesus seems to give us some pretty clear definition of, of that. And I raised the word, the uh, uh, reference to the Apocrypha a while ago. Um, that is generally considered an intertestamental writing. It, it has a lot of historical facts in it, and yet it, it was not considered to have been written by prophets. The authorship of it was not uh, and does not bear, and I won't take the time today, but if you go into an on further study, there are elements of it that help us to understand why it's, it's not considered to be inspired writings by the prophets. The beginning and the end. Let's go to Matthew chapter 23. I see our time is moving along. And I acknowledge that this, this message is almost more of a study in a sense, but it is informative, it is helpful for us to to reaffirm our understanding and increase our faith, Matthew 23, 35. <clears throat> As I was reflecting on these verses here, um, I think back in the years I've heard some discussion that didn't really get resolved regarding this passage. But here Jesus says, 
includes this as he was sharing here. Uh, he says that upon you, he was referring to judgment, that upon you may come all the righteous blood shed upon the earth from the blood of righteous Abel unto the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechias, whom ye slew between the temple and the altar. Verily I say unto you, all these things shall come upon this generation. He was referring to the destruction that of Jerusalem. And he, he used this way of, of denoting a time frame that, that is interesting and, and um, speaks to us as to the definition of the Old Testament scriptures. He made reference here to the blood of righteous Abel. Which book is Abel from? When he was martyred, which book was he in? Genesis, the first book. Then it mentions the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechias. Um, and that takes just a little bit more um, working through to, to understand that. The, the account here in Matthew, I think, includes the reference to the, uh, whose son he was. The Jews were very, it was important for the Jews to be able to trace lineage. And in the account in Luke, uh, if you want to turn there just quickly, in the account in Luke of this, it doesn't include that detail. Luke eleven fifty one. In Luke, the account of Christ says, From the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zechariah, which perished between the altar and the temple, verily I say unto you, it shall be required of this generation. So we have the same prophecy noted there with a minor detail variation. Um, and so, and it's not uncommon for us to see that certain details the writers of the scriptures brought out or included or didn't include certain details that were pertinent to who they were writing to uh, is not uncommon to, to see that happen. Now let's go to Second Chronicles. Keep in mind this account here, but Second Chronicles chapter 24. Beginning in verse 20. And the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah the son of Jehoiada, Jehoiada, the priest, which stood above the people, and said unto them, Thus saith God, Why transgress ye the commandments of the Lord, that ye cannot prosper? Because ye have forsaken the Lord, he hath also forsaken you. And they conspired against him and stoned him with stones at the commandment of the king in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus Joash the king remembered not the kindness which Jehoiada his father had done to him 
but slew his son. And when he died, he said, The Lord look upon it and require it. It's interesting, very interesting to note the fact that Jesus' reference to that which consisted in his prophetic inclusion of the sins of that time, of the sins of righteous martyrs, prophets, people being martyred. He brought it from Abel to Zechariah. Now here it's noted as Zechariah the son of Jehoiada, and we'll look a little bit further at that detail. But notice the the fact that it was in a and he was slew between the altar and it was a it was something had to do with a priestly line. And also when he dif- distinguished that the parameters of the Old Testament scriptures in this way, that the blood of those martyrs would be required. The last book of the Tanakh is Second Chronicles. There are, other, there are other martyrs, there are other intertestamental martyrs and so forth, but regarding this, the canon of the Old Testament, it's interesting to note that that seems to be set there for specific and clear reason. And, and later when we remind ourselves of some of the other words of Christ, um, it's, it impacts our thinking quite significantly. It affirms our faith it strengthens us Christ referred to Cain and Abel what was being done when Cain slew Abel what did he kill Abel over sacrifice Zacharias's blood was also shed in the place of sacrifice. And the Lord looked upon it, and we read there in those verses, said, and require it. In verse 22, the Lord look upon it and require it. The blood of the martyrs was to be paid for. I see I'm not going to be able to cover all of my material here this morning. I'm not sure... Um, where I want to bring this to a close. Let's let's look a little bit more at the detail of of this picture I've just uh, brought out here with the looking at. Uh, Scriptures from Matthew, uh, prophecy there. Matthew 23, verses 2 Chronicles 24. There, there is the possibility of, uh, um, well, the name uh, Zechariah. There was Zechariah, the son of Itto, who was a prophet. Um, would have been a minor prophet, but the son of Jehoiada was more likely connected to this Jerobachias, which comes out in, in, I believe, the New Testament reading there. Jerobachias, and, and um, there's a long form of that name, 
Barakiah, Jerobachias. Jerobachiah was the long form of Barakiah. But the point that Jesus was making there in that he was delineating a time when the word of God was spoken by the prophets and the martyrs were, were slaughtered, were killed for bearing the word of the Lord. And he is saying to them, because of this, you have rejected God's word to you. And you were given these things, and yet they rejected all these faithful witnesses. Um, wanna, let's go to Isaiah chapter 8. <clears throat> I made reference to the fact that there were faithful witnesses here. Chapter 8, verse 2, uh, let me begin in verse 1. Moreover, the Lord said unto me, Take thee a great roll and write in it, and a man's pen, cons excuse me, pen concerning Mershalal Hashbaz. And I took unto me faithful witnesses to record. Notice here that which I referred to was done. And I took unto me faithful witnesses to record Uriah the priest and Zechariah the son of Jerobachiah. Jeberachiah, I'm sorry. And I went unto the prophet and, uh, well, let's see, I wanted to stop there at verse 2. But notice that, that correlation there in, in the lineage of the Jews as well. Um, Sometimes when they trace lineages, it was back beyond that, and Jerobachiah would have been of the priestly lineage here, and he was noted among the, the faithful witnesses. And let's, um, let's go back to Matthew and, and uh, conclude with a couple things here of Christ summarizing the importance of God's Word. Matthew 5, verses 17 and 18 Make a fitting point to draw things to a close here. Jesus said this, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. One jot or one tittle. Jesus reaffirmed the fact that God's word, the prophets, the work of the prophets, the law and the prophets would be carried out. And he used the illustration of the jot or one tittle, illustrative of the Hebrew language. The smallest letter, the stroke. Um, in, in the Greek there is the, in fact, if you look it up in, in the Greek, it uses iota, which we understand what iota means today. You know, so-and-so said this, there's not one iota of truth in it. There's not one of the smallest details of truth in a statement. And Jesus said, down to that detail, his word will be fulfilled and completed. And um, and so, while at times uh, we have to look, we have to read, we have to, to remind ourselves there is a lot of detail to, 
to remind us that God's word is true. And um, we could look at more examples in the New Testament. Jesus made the reference there at one point that in Matthew 21, 42, Jesus said, did you never read it in the scriptures? There were a number of references that they understood what the scriptures contained or what uh, the, the scriptures consisted of. And even Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14, um, even references reading in the, Old in the Old Testament writings. So this morning as we, as we are reminded that um, the law and the prophets have such an important role in our understanding of our God and even life today as he set forth his word to us and that he committed that, the oracles of God, unto the Jews. It helps us understand what defines the Old Testament canon particularly when Jesus in detail makes references that, um, that define that for us. So may God continue to minister to our lives as we seek to know more and more about him, that we can honor him in everything we do.